72 Voices is a project by 72 and Sunny, who are a creative accelerator with offices in Sydney, LA, Singapore, Amsterdam and NYC. This series champions the new generation of creative entrepreneurs in Australia. In the chats, we identify smarts and insights that we hope in some small way will inspire the next generation of Australian entrepreneurial success stories. Welcome to 72 Voices, the podcast series, with our CEO, Chris Kay, produced by our friends at Otis Studios. This week's chat is with Dr. Kay Adams, owner of Bondi Vet Hospital and founder of gift and card tech business, Thankly. Kate has a real clarity and vision that impressively drives who she is as a multifaceted entrepreneur. She's really clear about her personal purpose and how this becomes a lens for professional and personal growth. Our conversation really opens the aperture on the modern entrepreneur in a way that I found truly insightful and inspiring. Hopefully you get as much out of our chat as I did. Cool, well lovely to meet you Kate. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. No worries. Uh, so if you can just explain who you are, what do you do and why do you do it? Yeah, I'm a bit of a multi-potentialite. So I'm Dr. Kate Adams. I'm the owner of Bondi Vet Hospital, but I'm also uh, the host of the new series of Bondi Vet set to air on Channel 9 later this year. I also have my own company, companies, should I say, uh, Vetlicious. It's my current baby. And what is Vetlicious? Vetlicious is a pet supplement company. So we actually do vitamin mineral supplements for pets um, to make sure that they receive a balanced diet when they're, when you're doing home cooking. Yeah. Um, I also am the founder of thankly.com.au. I founded Thankly some time ago. Um, so that is still, it's like kind of like my first child. Yeah. And Thankly is gift card business? It is. It yeah. is. So gift cards and obviously gifting. Yeah, yeah. So quite a stretch from being a vet. What was the? What did you describe yourself as? A multi multi potentialite. <laughs> what does There's that mean? Someone that doesn't quite fit into the square, <laughs> or and, what I'm supposed to fit into. And and was that by choice or just by organically just having your fingers in lots of pies? Yeah, it's it's never been by choice. It's always been because I'm just curious. Yeah. So I like to just explore, and it's the way I like to live my life. Yeah. learn new things. I felt like Thankly allowed me to learn how to build websites. Um, I really wanted to see how I'd go getting an e-commerce mm-hmm. type situation up. Um, I hadn't done that before. So it was kind of entering the tech space that I, I didn't know much about. Uh, and for me, it's really just a curiosity journey. So yeah. I'm one of those people that, you know, in the 2am in the morning thinks, yeah, I'm going to do that. Um, but the actual problem is is actually not doing it. Like I have to try and force myself to not do it. So these days as I've become, I guess, a little bit more older and more experienced, I'm really trying to to focus down on. Yeah. And and were you a vet before, frankly? Yes, yes. Okay. And so how did you go from being a vet to starting your own tech business? Uh, how did I go from doing that? So I was always um, in quite a lot of different, spaces yeah um so i have a couple of other degrees yeah um so in particular i have a a, um analytics data analytics masters um so it was just one of those things that really i felt like as though uh i had spare time yeah yeah and and then what was that jump like from trying to have a full-time job and then having another full-time job it was easy. Yeah. It was easy. So I've always studied on yeah. top of my my um, job. Yeah. So it was just a matter of like not doing uni. Yeah. 
And it was as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and then uh, you did it with all your own money. Did you get any backing? No, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, I should have, <laughs> but I didn't. Uh, I was too thought I can do this on my own. Yeah. I don't need anyone else. And and how did you feel when you started it? How did I feel when I started it? I was, uh, you know what? I had this idea in my head when I first started. Thankfully, I thought to myself that I wanted to create a business that actually would allow me to settle down a little bit. Mm-hmm. That was the the purpose of it. So I wanted to think, you know what, I'm starting to get to that age where I thought, you know what, maybe I want to get married and have babies. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have my own income. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to start this business so that it can kind of run itself. I can work from home or I can work from a small office that I, I sort of own and that's going to fit in with my life. But soon enough, I didn't quite account for my personality and then what happened shortly after was I'm going to turn this into the biggest gifting business in Australia. <laughs> and I remember my best friend actually saying to me, Kate, you're the only person that I know that would start a small gifting business and then say, I'm going to take this worldwide. So. And, and then on that journey, were there moments that you were like, actually, this is too much? Yes, of course. Yeah. Of course. So... At that point in time, I was an employed vet, right? So I didn't actually have my own um, hospital. Yeah. And so as that progressed, it was like two of them were sort of in tangent and the vet started getting bigger, thankfully started getting bigger. And as that happened, I started to feel like I was completely out of control. Mm -hmm. So there was many nights that I thought, oh, my gosh, I cannot do this. How did you gain control back? Um, I still don't think I've got there to be honest with you. Um, what I've really had to do is actually kind of, I guess, look a little bit more internally rather than actually just making a whim decision. I really needed to look internally about what I wanted for the future and what was going to take me there and what was the stepping stones that I was going to be able to get to that point. So for me, I really felt that, um, you know, thank- thankfully was great for me at yeah. the beginning. It allowed me to learn so much, but it wasn't where I wanted to go in the future. Yeah. Could I see myself being handwritten card mogul <laughs> no I couldn't yeah. so it had, it had gotten as far as I could possibly get it to um, so I've had to take my foot off that and right? so you're still in the business or I'm still you're... in the business yeah um, ideally what I would like to do is possibly make an exit at some point yeah. down the line um, and I've really really now just focused on a the TV show but also the, the hospital itself yeah and so what was it like giving up a bit of control of something that you've been in for such a long time and was your baby Uh, It was actually relatively easy. I was ready to do it. Yeah. I was ready to to release a little bit of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then how do you find, if you you look at all the things that you do as a multi-potentialite, how do you you split up the time and look at your week and look at your life? Mm -hmm. Especially, I'd imagine being, having a data analytical background. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you look at, how do you look at that and look at your time? I try really hard to be organised. Yeah. uh, But I'm actually not a very organised person. So uh, what I often do is I know that my brain works at a million miles an hour and I also know that I can outwork everyone else. (laughs) So I usually uh, prioritise by, like, you know, who needs me the most right now, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is not a great way going forward. I think actually it would be better if there was a little bit more planning involved. But I'm one of those people um, that I'm a little bit of a a, a -a get-a-shit-dunnerer. (laughs) <laughs> people is that right? your job title yeah pretty much <laughs> um so I just run ahead and I always think of myself as the person that is running up this enormous hill yeah and I've got all of these weights behind me and 
I'm just pulling everyone up behind me, being yeah. like, come on, come on, come on. So I kind of, I guess, see myself as that person. And how do you manage the culture with the people that you're working with to get them to follow you? I'm a massive, massive believer in accountability and responsibility. Yeah. But everyone needs to have freedom. Yeah. And everyone says that they want to have freedom in their job, but actually it's not for everyone. Some people don't like freedom in their job, but the people that I've chosen in my path have mm-hmm. been people that have enjoyed freedom in their role. Yeah. Um, I give people ultimate freedom. Do what you want. And, and, what, what you and, and, and what does that mean as in like? Create. Yeah. You know, so uh, I don't think that you can get the best out of people unless you let them use their own creativity yeah. to create. Yeah. And that might be new ideas, new ways of doing things, whatever that might be. And I think that the more you let people have freedom and the ability to create in their role, I think that it then allows people to make a role that they actually want to. And it also gives them accountability and responsibility. Nothing falls over mm-hmm. because they created it. How do you find that, that talent? Because, you know, for some people, I think what you just said is really exciting. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's probably quite scary because some people like guardrails and, That's right. and plans. Yep. So how and, do you find And job those? descriptions. Yeah, totally. Not a great job description. <laughs> Unless it's a get shit done around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but how do, you, how do you find those people that can play in that fluid role? I usually know just by meeting them. Yeah. And I can usually see in their, their CVs. Yeah. So I can see that they're people that often uh, uh, jump around a bit. Yeah. That's they're, a good thing to you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So people that have different skill sets, do different things, they're curious yeah. about different things, and they often seem unsettled in a corporate role. Yeah. So you might see them having jumped around a bit from different places, and that doesn't necessarily mean they don't have potential. It means that they're dissatisfied with the status quo, Yeah. which I feel is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, curious. You've mentioned that word a few times now. You talked about your curiosity journey. Yeah. Uh, how do you get inspired? Like, where where do you go to be curious? How do I get inspired? I think that I I get inspired by people, and mm-hmm. it's not necessarily that I take a whole of someone's journey and I think how inspirational. I take snippets of yeah. their journey. So, um, people like Rebel Wilson. Mm-hmm. She's a she's a good one. She's she's an amazing lady. Yeah. Truly amazing. Uh, the way that she has created her brand, the way that she's positioned herself, I think it's genius. Yeah. So I find creative. I, I find inspiration through other people, and it's not necessarily about replicating what someone else has done. Um, I I'm always say I'm a massive believer in copying. Don't recreate <laughs> the wheel. Just do what someone else has done and just do it again. But that doesn't mean doing exactly what they've done. Yeah. Right? What it means is that looking at them and thinking, Learning. how have they done that? Yeah. Right? And that might be, to everyone else, say Rebel looks like she just got lucky. Yeah. She's an ultimate strategist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a little bit like Kylie Jenner. Yeah. Again, yeah. You know, this this girl that has leveraged her, you know, multi-million Instagram account and produced First a bunch billionaire of... billionaire at 19 yeah, years right? old. Yeah, Produced a bunch of lipsticks. It's yeah. not new, right? And being able to create a billion-dollar business out of it, it really is quite phenomenal. 
I, I think there's a. It's funny. We just did a campaign with Rebel Wilson for Match.com mm-hmm. out of our LA office, and and I think the reason that the guys over there chose her is because she's very clear to her purpose and her brand. Yes. You know, there's an absolute discipline. Yes. I think for some people, and it's funny. Yes. We've done quite a few of these conversations, and that word discipline comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a, one of these conversations and, and someone just uh, talked about how clearly defined their purpose was. Mm-hmm. And then once you have that purpose and you wake up every morning clear against that, then every decision easy. that comes from that day That's just exactly works right. against that purpose. Yep. And I, I found that really interesting. And it's interesting when you talk about the people you get inspired by, they just have a clear purpose. That's exactly right. Uh, and, and I think once you have that vision and that clarity, then it's about how you just achieve against it. That's right. Uh, interestingly, you talk about your current business, so Vetlicious. Mm-hmm. So, so how did you go from Thankly to Vetlicious? What was the decision journey from two very different types of businesses? So, I guess as time wore on, I started getting clearer about my purpose. Yeah. Right. So, it was. It's been. It's very difficult to fit into two categories. Yeah. And it's very difficult for people to understand or place you in a box when they first meet you, if you don't have. Um, a, a clear mm-hmm. area that you live in their head. So I felt as though uh, for me it was about getting clear about my purpose. Yeah. So my number one thing, I am a vet and I will, to the day I die, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, my primary purpose in life is to look after pets. Yeah. Right? I love it. It is my, I would get up every morning for free and I would go and be a vet. So for me, that is my future. Yeah. Right. And everything else is on the side. Yeah. Uh, and it was about getting that clear. Yeah. Rather than trying to do a million things, just getting that clear. And once that was clear, I realised that a the vet hospital was my most important thing. Yeah. But b pets are my most important thing. Yeah. Right. So whatever business that I create or whatever area that I go into. It needs to be pet related. Yeah. It's my passion. Yeah. So Vetlicious is a pet supplement company. Um, it was an area that I felt uh, wasn't done very well. So I could see a lot of distrust in the community with commercial pet foods. People don't like feeding their pets dry food anymore. Yeah. And they were starting to home cook. So everyone was like making up these random recipes at home of you know, feeding... Steak. Yes, or even, you know, I feed raw mints from Coles. And I was thinking, you just can't feed your dog raw mints from Coles and think they're not going to die of a vitamin deficiency. Mm. But what had happened, the distrust from the commercial pet foods had led people to this path where there was no other options. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know what, I can fix this. And my ultimate aim was actually to create a, a natural pet food. Yeah. However, I've started with essentially a vitamin and mineral supplement that people can actually add to their raw beef mints from Coles so that their pet doesn't essentially die of a nutritional deficiency. And I don't think people realised how serious that was until it actually happens to your pet and you realise, oh, my dog has a broken leg because I forgot to feed calcium for the last two years. (laughs) Um, So it was an area that I felt like I know about. Yeah. I'm very passionate about pet nutrition uh, yeah. and pet wellness, so I thought it's an area that I can help. Yeah. It was never, I guess, really designed to be a money-making exercise. It was actually just designed because I wanted it for my own dog, and then I thought, hmm, this is actually what a lot of people actually need. So I packaged it up and, and yeah. off we went. And, and again, did you do that yourself or did you find funding? Myself. Yeah. yeah. So I have a business partner. Yeah. Um, he's a holistic 
veterinarian up in Queensland yeah. and uh, also very passionate about the space. I knew about him previously and we connected and uh, we off we went from there. Cool. Uh, jumping back, you talked about you found your purpose. When did that happen? You know, when you talked about, I realised that everything I had to do in my life was about veterinary and animals. Is that something that's happened recently? Something that happened early in your life? So, you know what? It was a something that happened quite early in my life. Yeah. However, I seemed to deviate. So when I was about in my early 20s, when at mid-20s, um, I left being a vet. Yeah. And I said, I never want to go back. I'm done. And everyone said it's just such a shame. And, you know, everyone had something to say about it. And I really thought it was the right decision. And I went and did some other things. So I worked in finance for a little while, uh, private equity, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, and then what essentially happened was I built up all of these other skills. And I then saw it wasn't actually being a vet that I didn't like. It was actually the way that businesses, veterinary hospitals in particular, operated. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like having to... Uh, I say this delicately, but, you know, uh, not practice good medicine yep. for profit, right? So I'm still very passionate about that. And so I felt as though that there was a lot of small businesses out there, small business veterinary practices that were living in the dark ages. Yeah, uh, Vets were treated very badly, uh, paid very poorly. Yep. There was a really high suicide and attrition rate, hmm. a lot of mental health problems in the veterinary industry. And it was an area I thought, you know what, I'm so passionate about this. And I left because I just couldn't deal with it. Yeah. And it was like all of a sudden I woke up and I was big enough and ugly enough to think, you know what, I got to go back and fix this. Yeah. So that was the day I decided I'm never working for anyone else again. <laughs> right. And I How thought, old were you? Uh, I was about 30. Okay. Yeah. And I thought, you know, what, I'm never working for anyone else again. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to go back and I'm going to build Australia's largest and best veterinary hospital. And all of my staff are going to love working there. And I pretty much did it. I feel yeah. like I did it. Yeah. And... Um, what did it feel like when you felt like you'd done it? Because clearly that was a mission. And so what did it feel like when you felt you'd achieved it? You know, I'm so, so very proud of not only just what I've created, but I'm so proud of my staff um, and... Every single day, I'm pretty sure that if you ask them that they would get up and say, what do you love best about your job? And they say, we love pets. Yeah. Right? We love looking after them. We love helping them. And I think it's about trying to reconnect everybody every single day as to our mission. Yeah. Why are we here? Mm -hmm. And that goes for any business. Yeah. Right? Because I think it's so easy in your day-to-day -day life to get distracted from all the stuff that you do uh, and it's busy and, and whatever and it's about reconnecting with everyone's purpose as to what they're doing there. Yeah. So it's been a really, really, it's been a really hard journey but honestly, great, a great journey. Yeah. How do you build that culture where everyone's fighting for that one vision? I think it's about the leader. Yeah. I think it's about making sure that everybody there is on the same path everyone yeah. wants the same things and it's really about me reminding everybody mm -hmm. because i think if i didn't believe it no one else would yeah yeah and then different question what does being an entrepreneur mean to you creating yeah really yeah i just think, expand on that what do you mean 
yeah, creating creating uh, a life that you love that yeah. you don't want a holiday from. Yeah, uh, I think it also has to revolve around being able to have an intersection of where you make money from that. Yes, yeah. everyone needs to be conscious of the fact that it's all very well and good to be altruistic, but you do still have to make money. It is a bi- there is a business aspect to being an entrepreneur. Yeah, and I think it's also about learning how to love the ups and downs of life. So for example, I see a lot of people get into their entrepreneurial journey with very, very high hopes of this is gonna be great, and I'm gonna create this epic multi-million dollar business and they don't realize the highs are high, let me tell you, but the lows <laughs> they <suck>. are low. <laughs> and really what it's about is essentially being able to know that the lows are just a, just a passing phase. Hmm. And soon you will get your your next high, and being able to be okay with that roller coaster. And I don't think everyone is okay with that roller coaster. Mm. I don't think it suits everyone. I agree. That's really good advice because it, it's funny. We started our business here in Australia, and it started with no people and a and a printer in a mm-hmm. uh, in a back of a car. Uh, it's not glamorous. It's not glamorous, <laughs> uh, especially when I'd been a five hundred person company <laughs> before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but I think it's really interesting trying to find those people that can play in that game so as you say it's not for everybody and 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 it's interesting that you say you look at people's cvs where they've been to try and understand who can help you on that journey uh because it, it is tough you know I, I do think in today's society entrepreneurship feels glamorous at times yeah it's uh, portrayed as glamorous incredibly mm-hmm. uh and certainly not no, and, and, and it's interesting. We some were talk- days you'll be rich and some <laughs> days you'll be bankrupt. Yeah, and you'll be crying. Yep. Uh, and we were talking to uh, another person who uh, was talking about in their journey, they've just been very open about uh, their, how they've won and how they've lost. Uh, and, I, and I think that's a really good lesson for people to learn because sometimes I think, you know, even when we look at uh, startup businesses, the best ones are called unicorns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and unicorns are a mythical creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that means that it's like something incredible to attain. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas uh, so many people fail. Yes. Uh, and so I think it's really interesting to learn from people's failures as much as successes. Uh, and, and so it's interesting you just talk about that, that some days are really low, but that gets you to the next high. I think that's a really good lesson for people. I think people have to understand that, you know, if you're going to pursue an entrepreneurial path, you have to be 150% committed to your vision, yeah. right, of the problem that you want to solve. Because if you're not 150% committed and you're not going to be 150% committed in two years' time, then you've got a real problem. Things are really sexy for the first six months. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all fun and games. And two years down the track, when you're still eating noodles and you're still living at your mum and dad's house, it's not fun. And I think what's happened over time, I see this um, entrepreneurship has turned quite altruistic, which yeah. is lovely. But also there, there's a point that, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that spend their whole lives, instead of actually building their businesses, getting shit done. Yeah. They're out looking for funding and that's it. That's all they're doing, full-time jobs, looking for funding, looking for funding and working on ideas that are either not big enough to solve, yeah. no one cares about, or potentially even too big to solve. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I was talking to uh, Chris from Pedestrian TV and he'd uh, he'd founded his own business without funding 
you've mentioned it twice now that you've done two businesses without funding mm -hmm. you know is is funding sometimes a curse do you think in the modern VC world? You know, I've always thought of about funding and I've always thought to myself, if I was an investor, what would I want to see in a business? Yeah. And I would want to see, I'm going to use the word traction, but it's actually not because it's actually revenue. Yeah. I would want to see dollars on a piece of paper. Yeah. And I always felt that it was not quite right for me to go and look for funding without having revenue. Yeah. And so what I learned in actually trying to get revenue, 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 after a while you actually realise once you actually got the revenue thing going, you actually think, actually, I could probably get this done without funding. Yeah. So it was uh, a funny little thing because I'd always intentioned on getting funding and once I got revenue and then I once I got revenue, it's kind of like I thought, well, actually, I don't really need funding right now. <laughs> and it's happened to a few businesses yeah. that I know yeah. um, and it's a rolling stone because once you actually get the idea about how to sell and how to, you know, your market fit works and, you know, you've got customers and, and paying customers is I think that it's then a rolling stone. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because funding gives you money to spend. Yes. Whereas revenue is money that you've earned. Yep. Which, and, and, and again, talking to Chris from Pedestrian TV, that was his distinction, that when you get funding, you, you very quickly get on a, a timeline yeah. of, Yep. Okay, I've got to spend this for my next yes, round. Yes, yes. Uh, and I, I just psychologically, I find that quite interesting because, mm -hmm. uh, as you say, I think entrepreneurially now uh, in the world, it is all about your first round uh, and getting that funding, which just seems at odds a little bit sometimes with this idea of yes. trying to make it on your own. Yeah. And, you know, when I look back at how I've advertised, for example, a lot of people ask me, like, how I actually originally uh, branded. When I say branding, I don't mean my logo. I mean positioned all of my businesses and I can honestly say that I've I've never done Facebook advertising. I've never done Instagram advertising. I've essentially just growth hacked my way. And that means everything from doing my own PR. Yeah. All the way through to thinking up really creative ways to get attention. Create shareable content to get my name out there without necessarily spending money on ads. And I think that without a massive budget, you actually get so good. Mm -hmm at thinking up really creative ways to get attention. Yeah. It's funny, you've used the word creative a lot. What does being creative mean to you? Thinking outside the square. Yeah. Right, thinking of things that other people might not have thought of. Yeah. And there's heaps of, depending on your, I guess, your business, uh, there's always a way. Yeah. It's funny, and I'm just going to replay a conversation we had before we yeah. turn the mics on, which was uh, about... Creativity has always seemed to be the bastion of people who draw and people mm, who write. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we had a really interesting conversation before we started about creativity uh, actually being in everybody's DNA. Mm -hmm. uh, and specifically from an entrepreneurial perspective, that idea of today's problems, tomorrow's opportunity, yeah. and creatively thinking about that. And, and so I, it, it's really interesting. I agree with you in today's modern context, I think everybody has to be creative in what they do. Absolutely. And especially as our world changes and, you know, the fear of AI, yeah. I think the only thing that commerce has left is creativity. Yeah. And the only people that can supply that are humans. That's right. Uh, and, and I said to you earlier, you know, I think that everyone thinks when they talk about creativity. So, I, you know, I, I'm a scientist. I'm the, like, the least creative person on the planet when it comes to drawing something of my own or... Yeah. 
or, or whatever that is, but that doesn't mean I'm not, not creative. So creativity is about problem solving, really, and being able to think outside the square and, you know, being able to look for solutions that maybe everyone else hasn't thought of. And so it definitely just doesn't exist in yeah. the sphere of painting or graphic design or creating ads or anything like yeah, yeah. that. Uh, how do you inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs? Uh, you know, I'm very passionate about that in particular, mm-hmm. uh, particularly female entrepreneurship. Uh, I feel as though that, um, you know, I, I stood up last week at the Dog Lovers Show and thought, wow, you know, 30 years ago, I would have been a little girl in the audience sitting there thinking to myself, I couldn't even own a vet hospital because mm. chicks didn't own vet hospitals in those days, let alone there might have been a few female vets, but there certainly wasn't any female business owners. So I thought, you know, we've come so far in 30 years, the fact that I even got the opportunity to do this. Yeah. And I feel like it's my responsibility, I suppose, to show people that what's actually possible. You yeah. don't necessarily have to be extraordinary to create extraordinary things. Yeah. And really, I think the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is actually just a really a lot of hard work and grit. And do you think uh, entrepreneurship uh, is in the Australian DNA? It's always been in Australian DNA. Yeah. It's just that we've never really looked after it. Yeah. What do you mean by that? You know, my dad was a scientist. Um, he was a really innovative scientist he always used to create things he was like the nutty professor (laughs) so he was also creative yeah and also entrepreneurial yeah and my father used to always say to me he was used to grumble and always used to say all the good brains go offshore there's no research and development in australia all the good brains end up going offshore because there's no opportunity here Mm -hmm. and i used to remember him saying it all the time and i used to feel very sad about that because i used to think that he always thought that the only way that he could create in his field was if he worked for someone like the CSIRO yeah. or the Australian National University or, or one of the unis as a professor. That was the only way that you, as a, a research and development, that you could actually create. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we've changed a great deal there, unfortunately. Yeah. And as I've gotten older, I've seen what he meant yeah. by those statements. Yeah. And I think, wow, like our good brains leave. Why is that? It's because we don't look after them. Yeah. It's because we don't look after them enough. And I don't know whether it's because as Australians we're slightly risk adverse. Yeah. And we don't tend to embrace new things. Yeah. As much as other countries. But it seems like as though once something gets popular in another country, often actually if you look behind the minds behind a new invention or whatever that is, uh, and that can be in science, can be in tech or whatever... There's often an Australian, if not two or three... <coughs> Wi-Fi, Google Maps. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. that team. Yeah. So I don't think... I think that we're the best at it. Honestly, our minds <laughs> are good. We are educated. We are creative. We get along with everyone else. So I feel like we are really good at this. Yeah. But for some reason, we just don't seem to be leading. <laughs> and And is that because as a country, we... You say we don't help, but do we get in our own way? Is that because the world doesn't view us as leaders? Like, how do you think the world views Australia as an entrepreneurial nation? I think that they probably think we're not that great. Yeah. 
I, yeah. d- I don't know why. I yeah. don't know why uh, because we do have, as I said, some of the greatest minds and we always have. Yeah. I just don't know that um, whether it's just we don't foster it enough in terms yeah. of culturally yeah. or whether there's not enough support. Yeah. When you say support, what do you mean? Do you think the government plays a good role in helping the country from an innovation and entrepreneurship perspective? Yes, I definitely think. Do I think they help now? Yeah. Not very well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that there definitely could be improvements there. And I and I think there has been improvements in the last 30 years. I mean, you look at, you know, um, even I've mentioned the CSIRO. Yeah. Those guys are doing some really good work, um, very innovative work. Um, but certainly I think there can be a lot more help than what there is. Yeah. And and then before we came on air as well, we talked about your current role. So Bondi Vet, back out in four weeks. Yeah. Uh, and and do you think that people can see you both as someone on TV in a show like that and as an entrepreneur? Do you think that's a distinction that people make? Do you think that uh, people may not view you as an entrepreneur anymore now that you're in a show like that? I definitely think so. I think yeah. that the more I'm involved with media... Yeah. And the more I've um, been involved with the show and other such things, people see me uh, as a just a vet. Yeah. And they don't see me as an entrepreneur anymore. Um, I still self-identify as an entrepreneur. Yeah. And as I said, I don't think entrepreneur necessarily means that you have to, um, you know, work down at Fishburners in a co-working space or, or whatever that is yeah. and be doing a tech startup. I don't believe that that's necessarily what entrepreneurship is. That's interesting because uh, I had a conversation with someone else and they felt that the uh, word entrepreneur should be owned by that group, mm. uh, which is which is interesting because yeah. as you say, when you're out in regional Australia or having a, a talk at the dog show uh, and someone is starting their own practice, you know, that is incredibly entrepreneurial. Yeah. And and like, how do you respond to a point of view like that, that that word now seems to be owned by a certain section of... I, I think it's a shame because I think what it actually does is start to actually um, make entre- an entrepreneur a dirty word. Yeah. So, for example, if you're a small business owner or whether you're a large business owner that you've created, then yeah. you lose the entrepreneur title... And then if entrepreneur only exists in a very small subset of people running around looking for capital, yeah, it becomes a dirty word, mm-hmm. particularly at the top end of town. So, you know, you're looking for top end money and you say you're an entrepreneur at this point, people look at you like, oh, another <laughs> entrepreneur. And I don't think that's right. Yeah, I think that actually the, the more that we can get successful revenue generating business owners, yeah associating with the word entrepreneur the better it is to be able to move it from just being you know a um you know a startup yeah. you know what i mean how do you how does that control come back how how do we how do you get that back cuz it, it does feel like yeah. you know a, every kid i think it's just about i'll just continue to call myself an entrepreneur <laughs> I'll just be an entrepreneur till the day I die so i think you know what just because i'm a vet and just because i have a vet hospital and it's not you know, um, you know, a virtual reality startup, yeah. or yeah. I'm not building an app to solve homelessness. Yeah, I don't think that doesn't make me less of an entrepreneur. Yeah, and are you a mentor to the next generation? Is that something that you do? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So I meet with lots of 
particularly female business owners. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I think is wrong with that part of uh, the entrepreneurial circle is I, I think that sometimes women don't think big enough. Yeah. And I don't exactly know where that comes from. I think it's that's m- multi-factorial yeah. about why that happens. And it might come from a self-belief situation. Uh, but I think what happens over time is that um, the, that playing in a small space is yeah. quite detrimental yeah. And, you know, I, I recently met this lady that make, makes these dog treats. And I can honestly tell you her branding was unbelievable. Like this woman had done it all on her own. Yeah. Her branding was absolutely beautiful. Her dog treats are 100% vegan mm. and she can gluten-free, organic, the whole lot. You can eat them as a person. Absolutely beautiful, right? And... I've never seen a dog treat like it. And I thought, wow, like that is really something special. And she'd been, she's been for the last three years, like slogging it out, out at some of like the, you know, Bondi dog day on a little stand. And I think, oh no. Yeah. You know, and she'd never really thought about the possibilities. And I said to her, you know, have, have you approached some of the bigger corporates about, you know, distribution and, she looked at me like, I don't even know where to start with that. <laughs> so I think mentoring is yeah. massive in that space because I don't think it's it's done enough. And I yeah. don't think a lot of the time people know what to do next. Yeah, yeah. And and do you find that people reach out for you for that sort of advice? Do you think people are... Yeah, yeah they definitely do. Because yeah. it was do. interesting, again, speaking to somebody else, uh, they talked about how they felt people didn't reach out to them enough. Uh, he he was very clear that you know he would always help someone who had a good idea or he would always help the next generation mm-hmm. but he just felt that uh, maybe socially people were a little bit scared to ask for help is that something you've seen or do you, do you think maybe as a female entrepreneur uh, there's more of a zeroed in desire for help from you yeah I've, I've actually never considered it to be like a scary thing to reach out to me yeah so it's kind of weird because I'm at this space where I feel as though for me like I'm just little old me that just <laughs> does stuff and makes it work and it just turns into something good yeah um, so I've never really thought of myself as overly successful really yeah and as time has worn on it's actually just a matter of you know I, I go to different places and then I seem to get more VIP services or I get better invitations to things. And that's quite a hard thing to adjust to because I often think to myself, I was recently on the Husey show (laughs) and, you know, like they came and picked me up and I got my own little name on the door and And someone came and dressed me and (laughs) put my makeup on and it was just amazing. I was like, this is just crazy. So I I don't really think of myself as uh, being being that person yeah so when so- if someone said to me that they felt scared to reach out to me yeah, i yeah. think why yeah like just come just email yeah, yeah, yeah so i've never really thought of it as being <laughs> someone as like yeah, someone yeah. would be scared of approaching me what does success- maybe they are <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why they've not approached you <laughs> uh what does success mean to you success means to me do you know what uh i feel like it's about achieving my legacy yeah which is to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to be Oprah or, or whatever, but it certainly does mean that I need to make a difference. And I yeah. think if you're lucky enough in life 
to be born with 10 fingers and 10 toes and a good brain. I think that you owe it to the world to give something back. Mm-hmm. So success to me would be being on my deathbed and thinking that was a good ride and I did a good job and I was a good person. What's what's next for you? Uh, so what is next for me? So, I mean, I hope to get season two of the show. Yeah. I, that would be a good thing. Uh, so at the moment this year is obviously a pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, first series, you know, I've got some big shoes to fill. Yeah. Uh, so season two would be yeah be great. Um, I'd also really like to build the vet hospital. Yeah. Um, and that would mean potentially expanding into other areas. So I'd like to go and disrupt the dog grooming <laughs> area. Uh, and I'd also probably also like particularly uh, like things like cat boarding and so forth. Yeah. So um, all very bricks and mortar. Yeah. At that point, um, but I certainly think that there's some things that I'd like to do. All Australia-based, would you ever consider being one of the brains that gets drained overseas? Yeah, you know, if it wasn't for Bondi Vet, I would off- I often have thought, you know what, I'd definitely be in New York. Yeah. Uh, but I was actually just thinking yesterday I was um, about how much I really do love Australia. I know that sounds really uh, a bit corny, but... It doesn't. When you spend a lot of time overseas, like this is such a great country. Like uh-huh. I'm, I'm like, I'm really proud of it, and I really think that um, it's a really good country. And I, I don't want to just leave it either. Yeah. I feel very patriotic about Australia. Yeah. And then when you talk about you, you think about New York. Why do you think about America? I think about America because it's just the world of opportunity. Yeah. You know. Uh, Everyone's got something to do. Everyone's got something that they want to be. Yeah. And that kind of vibe doesn't exist here. Hope maybe one day it will. Yeah. Do you think it can? Because that's interesting. Again, another conversation I was having with someone was a, a bit back to that is entrepreneurial spirit in the Australian DNA. Because in the US, you know, everyone has the American dream. Yeah. It's even got a trademark. Yes. yes. Uh, whereas in Australia, there isn't an Australian dream. You know, I think the psyche. Uh, similarity over here or not similarity but uh, Australians have a fair go attitude whereas Americans have a I need to succeed at all cost attitude and it's really interesting that you talk about that because I I do wonder if Australia will ever get to that point. I think our tall poppy syndrome is really Mm. quite ingrained which is unfortunate and I even notice when I speak uh, to an Australian audience versus an American audience So in an Australian audience, uh, my opener, because I'm often quite embarrassed when someone lists my degrees in Australia and I, I will walk out on stage and I often, my first line will be something self-deprecating <laughs> and I get a completely different response when I say, do that particular joke. Yeah. You know, I always have this joke about, um, you know, I might be amazing, but I often can't find clean knickers in the drawer. <laughs> which is true, uh, but, you know, in Australia, and I f- feel like it humanises me, and yeah. and so I, my Australian audience, a lot of people look at me like, ah, oh, she's cool, whereas when I say that in America, people look at me with shocked faces, <laughs> like, oh, God. Yeah. Like, really? Like, you need to get your shit together, lady. <laughs> um, so I, I also have a joke that I say about... Um, when I'm introduced as a vet, I often say, oh, oh, I'm not a real vet anymore. And I'm referring to obviously being yeah. a media personality yeah, yeah. more than I am a vet these days. And in Australia, people get it 
and in America people look at me oh, and say, "Oh, you really you don't you don't have a vet degree?" <laughs> and I think, "Oh gosh, that was a joke. That didn't that didn't go <laughs> yeah, well." Yeah, irony so, doesn't go down no, well. No, <laughs> no. So the joke thing that didn't go, yeah, yeah. the self-deprecating thing, yeah, yeah. it doesn't go. Yeah. Um, whereas I feel in Australia we don't like it when people are too too much. Yeah. Uh, whereas that's celebrated in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, again, having worked there for six years, that idea of uh, being very open with your success yeah. is something that's celebrated. Where yeah. uh, you're right here, you know, the first thing you do is is try and knock your success down a little bit, so it makes it feel like you're on the same level. Yeah, uh, you can fit in at a barbie, in yeah, like a Sunday, like because you think, oh, like now oh, I'm being weird, because. <laughs> Whereas in America, everyone's talking about how great they are and what they've done and all of this stuff, yeah. and that doesn't get talked about on Sunday afternoon. At- Which is interesting because uh, I think it's something to sometimes aspire to, but maybe not too much. Agreed. It's interesting you use the Barbie analogy. Uh, again, when I lived in Los Angeles, the first question I ever got asked at a Barbie is, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it's probably the 15th question at a Barbie over here. And I, I really like that. Because it feels a little impolite here. Yeah. Like it yeah, feels yeah. like here it's a bit impolite. Yeah. And I want to know you as a human first yeah. versus a job title. And I think that's important. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I do think the idea of the American dream is you step on someone else's head to get there. Mm. Uh, and yep. so I think trying to find our own version of that yep. versus just aspiring really to follow that, I think really is really point. important. Yeah. Cool. Well, look, I, I know I've taken up some of your time today. Uh, I really enjoyed that. That was lovely talking. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Up next, we have Rob Deeming, CEO of Billy, an aged care startup.